0: Yo, yo, my name is Big Lou, and you are now listening to Go Produce. We're the show that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. In this episode, we've got Dejan Martineau, an entrepreneur, a slick songwriter, and a popping producer who is able to work cohesively with many genres. The Go Produce focus of this episode is how do you describe the entire songwriting process so that anyone can understand it? If you ever thought of writing a song or wondered how do other people write songs, then this episode is for you. All right. All right. Thank you, Deshawn, for being here. I want you to know that we really do appreciate your time. So why don't we go ahead and make the most of this and go produce. Listeners, let me tell you who we've got here for you today. Deshawn Martineau, he cut his teeth in 2010 at one of Canada's longest running recording studios. Phase one recording studios, studios to be precise. He earned credits on Juno nominated records with artists such as Kathleen Edwards, Diamonds, Cancer Bats, which you can see in the background there. And he also worked along some of the industry's leading record producers, including Gavin Brown, Garth Richardson, Eric Ratz, David Bottrell, and Sylvia Massey. Leaving the studio to go to freelance in 2017, Dijon continues to work with Juno nominated artists such as Lydia Ainsworth and Moist while also developing acts all over North America like Havlin in Toronto and Priya Panda in LA, amongst, of course, many more. Maintaining a fierce passion for being able to work cohesively with many genres, his musicianship and technical skills across digital platforms and analog gear shows absolutely no bounds. This allows Dijon to create a seamless remote work environment when needed and can turn any studio into his home. Dijon frequently worked out of LA while working the rest of the year in his home studio out of Toronto. Martineau. My man, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Very happy to have you. Thank you for that enthusiastic intro. That was amazing. It's
0: it's one heck of an intro. We try and get people in like that. Yeah. But I did say we do appreciate your time. So why don't we go right into the next or the first segment, which is called POW? Not called POW. It's called the basics. Let's get it. Just feeling the vibes, you know, feeling the vibes. So what we're going to do here in The Basics is we're going to run through some simple, simple questions so that we can ultimately get to know you on a more personal level. We want to establish a connection with our listeners here. Cool? Great. I like to start out with my favorite question. This question is, what is your first musical memory? First musical memory would
1: probably... It would have to be the London, Ontario Balloon Fest. I was like maybe three or four years old, just a tiny kid. And, you know, they had like the balloons going off. It was a a big celebration. I didn't give a shit about all these balloons. All I heard was over the bandstand, this crazy instrument that was shaking my chest. And I asked my dad Mm. what it was, and it was a bass guitar. And I was like, that, that,
0: I need to do that. that yeah no, it's cool it I, I know exactly the feeling you're talking about because it, it resonates all the way through your body and you become almost the same frequency as it if you will
1: yeah yeah it just takes you over
0: yeah it's very cool very cool and I'm guessing did you did you pick up a bass soon after that or um so in
1: grade six we got to start doing instruments and I joined the orchestra and I just wanted to do the upright bass because you know I just told you why um, but I was too short, so they wouldn't <laughs> let me do it. So I had to play cello, uh, for the, for all of grade six and then half of grade seven, I actually played cello as well. And I just kept fighting with the orchestra teacher. I'm like, I went through a growth spurt. Let me play bass. And, um, eventually she did, but it was like a long fight. Cause I was also first chair cello. And then she was like, we need you here. I was like,
0: I don't care. I need to play bass. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. I don't care. <laughs> now it's fair. And I mean, you knew, you knew what you wanted to do and you got it. Yep. That's awesome. Until I got That's bored awesome. of it and
1: I was like, I need more strings.
0: <laughs> and what did that lead to? I started playing guitar and then eventually drums and then piano. And now just whatever, just put anything in my hands. I'm good for it. That's super awesome. That's very impressive. Cool. Can you tell us a bit about your time with Phase One Recording Studios and how you got involved with them right out of school pretty much? Actually,
1: no. Um, It was probably, it was like three years after I graduated. So um, I actually worked, I interned at a dozen other studios. I interned at Cherry Beach um, very briefly, and I had bounced around a bit. I ended up working at um, a studio called Q Music for about a year and a half until the owner, unfortunately, had a heart attack. And then right around that time, Uh, I was working with uh, Garth, not Garth. I'd already worked with Garth. I was working with uh, Gavin and Eric and Garth and all those guys um, just as an assistant and editor and just kind of like handling all the Pro Tools stuff. So I was like, why don't I just jump out of the studio environment and become an independent producer and just kind of my, my, the, what I was shooting for at the time was I was a freelance assistant. So instead of being an assistant for a studio, I was just the guy that all the producers would call to come in and make sure that stuff was tight. Right. And then I was also engineering my own records at the same time. And in then, the same it, facility? Uh, no, all, all over the city, all different studios. Okay. And it wasn't until um, my girlfriend at the time actually needed a job. And we went on Craigslist looking for a job for her. And I saw a post for Recording Studio Engineer. And I was like, well, why not? You know, I'll submit it. I think it was for Orange Lounge, actually. And I put my resume together. I was like, holy shit, I've done some 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 stuff now. So I was like, well, since I put it together, why don't I blast it out to every studio in the city? And Barry from Phase One got back to me within an hour, and was like, we need someone now. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was like, "Um, can you wait a month? Because I'm actually on a record right now. So they actually waited, and then it was just like, "It's it's formal for us to do an internship. Like we need you, but you have to do an internship because we've never hired anyone without doing an internship." So because of that, I have the shortest internship in the history of that studio. Hey, I like that. <laughs> uh, I went in, and on my first day, I did the intern thing. I like scrubbed toilets, clean floors, vacuumed, and everything. Day two. They asked me to come in on a session. The engineer actually didn't know that I knew anything. He asked me like, hey, if you want to sit on this session, it's cool. They started having computer problems. And you know, being a good intern, I I just kept my mouth shut, sat in the corner. And um, eventually they turned to me like, do you know anything about this? I'm like, yeah, I can fix that. And it was just a simple video codec issue. So I converted the video in I think toast at the time, re-imported it, got the session up and running, and he just saw me like operating Pro Tools so fast. He's like, you know how to do this? I'm like, yeah, man. So yeah. he let me off that day. And as he was watching me op, apparently he just left the room, went in the owner's office and was just like, just hire him. Um, so I have a two day internship, uh, which I think the shortest other than that was three months. And the longest I saw was two wow. and a half years.
0: Did okay. So, curious the person that did the two and a half year internship, did anything come for them? (laughs) Yeah, he ended up getting
1: hired. He was my assistant for, yeah, he was my assistant for probably about three years after that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Two days. Very impressive. Very impressive. And, and why did you transition from working at phase one after, I mean, a meteoric start, if you will, to freelancing on your own?
1: Um, I think. What it was for me anyway was a confidence issue. So when I was freelancing on my own, it's a grind. It's hard, you know, and that's the truth. It's inconsistent, right? So like one month you're making great money and you're set. And then for the next four months, you got nothing. And that's a lot of stress. And then when it's a mental f- battle, yeah. And when FaZe was like, hey, here's a salary and benefits and a stable environment and a job you can come to every day, I took it. I just had to take it. But being freelance is a million times better if you can handle the stress. And like once you get to a certain point, you just understand that, you know, we used to joke that, you know, I've got a week's worth of work before I'm unemployed. And then like... (laughs) Because you look at the calendar, and you got nothing in a week. And then eventually... It's a reality. Yeah. And then eventually that becomes like, oh, it's two weeks till I'm unemployed. Oh, it's a month till I'm unemployed. And then like at some point, I think maybe last year I was like booked like three or four months in advance. And then you just stop thinking about it. Right? Wow. So Gradually. Yeah. So it got to the point where my demand as a producer and as an engineer was so high that I had the confidence... And I had the comfort to be freelance again, but it's scary. And having that paycheck is nice.
0: <laughs> it it's a it's a cushion. Yeah. So building develop, or developing that confidence takes time. But what are some ways that you ensure that you have more work once you actually take that leap, or when you're even say preparing to take that leap, you're, you're trying to build up your work? How do you fill those books? What do you do?
1: There's there's That's a tough one because really it just comes down to your relationships. You can have the best skills in the world, but if nobody knows about it, your calendar's empty. So you got to make lots of friends and you have to make sure that, you know, you're, it, it comes down to customer satisfaction. You know, you have to make sure that the people you work with enjoyed working with you and want to come back. And when you're building a business, because really that's what you're doing. You're a business owner. You're running a business. The people who are spending the money have to want to come back to you. So, you know, it's it's always nice to put the music first, but you have to also think who's paying the bills, right? And when I look at my operation, I think if it's a uh, record label paying the bills, well, the record label then wants me to give them the best product possible. So as a producer, I can be a little pushier with the artist. I can say, no, 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 we need a functional good record that people are going to enjoy right if i'm working for an independent artist who's footing the bill themselves while yes i want to push them to have the best record ever they are also my boss so the tone changes instead of me being in charge of the project i am now offering suggestions and i can say this is what i think we should do but at the end of the day it's your record Whereas
0: when I'm working for a label, I'm like, this is what we're gonna do. Interesting. Do you, okay. So leaning more towards the freelancing, and then essentially working for the artist when they when they hire you to do your work. Um, what kind, do do your services differ than what you were doing previously? Um, not
1: not on a technical or a. Yeah, not on any technical level, but just in who I um, report to, essentially. Who I'm accountable to. Whereas when the artist is paying themselves, I'm accountable to that artist. And at the end of the day, I want to make sure that they're happy so that they come
0: back for the next record. Which makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if the record's successful, that's a bonus, but that's not on me that's that's on the artist and their wants and then they have to love it and they have to believe it and hell i don't know everything maybe they're right and i'm i'm just you know stuck in my old ways um so i'm accountable to them when i'm accountable to the label i have to
0: make sure that they have a sellable product and that's a different target interesting so now as the freelance venture dijon what kind of services do you specifically offer
1: um So that's that's a fun one, because as you get more and more into your freelance career, you can offer less and less. So when but you can also offer more at the same time, if you want, if you want. Yeah. So like when I started out, I would do editing, mixing, vocal tuning, recording. I'll play all your instruments for you. I'll write the song for you. I'll literally do anything related to music. Hell, I'll come out to the live show, record you live. I'll perform with you live, anything. But that's when your demand is low, right? You just become a part of the community. As your demand rises, you can start picking and choosing. You can say, well, you know what? I don't necessarily need to sit in a room for the next four days recording guitars. I can have an engineer. Sit there and record those guitars because I can trust them to do that work. I don't need the money I just want the tracks to show up and then I can mix them put my final touch on that And I can focus on just mixing now or I can focus on what I'm currently actually working on is I have an engineer I work very closely with and I'm trying to train her to mix like me so that I don't have to mix anymore because I want to focus entirely on just producing the record and then passing them off to my engineer
0: to mix. Right. That's awesome. Did it did it did it start off as a solo venture and then grow into a team or do you have a partner or is it do you hire off these these extra jobs?
1: It it started
0: as a solo venture.
1: It's still technically a solo venture, but it's definitely growing into a team. I have my manager who works for a separate company, but it feels like a part of my team. Um and then I have my engineer, who works for me, but the way the modern world works, unfortunately, I can't have her on, on salary um, because that would just be wild in a contract-based environment. So it's she has her own company where she's just doing engineering and it's subcontracting just like every other business does now.
0: Right. What about songwriting? songwriting is that still a big part of your services or absolutely that's actually
1: where i'm trying to go more towards i want to be focusing mainly on songwriting and production so helping to create the songs with the artist and then making sure that the songs are great building up the tracks and then letting other people handle the technology would be ideal for me but yes songwriting is an essential part of producing to me especially these days it's If you're not helping write the songs, you have to be helping with the arrangement or the structure, or at least be aware of what a good song
0: is so you can critique it properly. As the producer? Yeah. The producer should know that? Yes. Interesting. So do you think ideally the producer should be involved with the songwriting process or it's not not make or break? But is that the most ideal situation?
1: It's not make or break, but the most ideal situation for me anyway was a, a project I had last year with an artist named Chris Ning, fantastic artist. Uh, he came to me before he had anything. He just said, I want to make a record. Let's go. And from there, I got to do my dream project where I, I wrote a bunch of songs with him. And then I actually had a team of songwriters that I brought in and I paired him with different people to write different songs. And then we accumulated, I think, about 56, 57 songs, somewhere in there. And then the most fun on that record was the day we got to sit down and listen to every single one of those songs and decide which 10 we're going to make the record. Wow. Because now, now you're just you're winning, right? If a, if a band sits in their jam space and writes four songs and brings them to me to produce, my hands are tied. Those are those four songs. And, you know, I can change arrangements a little bit. I can help tweak them. But if a band lets me give them, like, what's the target for this record? What's what's the story? What's the emotion? What's the feel? Let's build an entire thing. And then I can send that out to professional songwriters and pair them with songwriters to develop a whole body of work. Then going through that and putting it together, it just, it fell together so easily and so simply. And then you get to the point where you're recording it and recording it's a joke because the song's so good. You could just throw a 57 on the floor and have them sing it and it's done. And right? it's done. Right. Like we all know that production's
0: easy if the song's good. So why not get involved with the songs? Of course. And so I'm I'm hearing a clear takeaway here. Write, write, write. Great yes. lesson for young artists. Yes. And if they're approaching a producer, at least.
1: Yes. Writing it is key. And Any professional artist, any artist we work with, if you're putting out a four-song EP, there were hundreds of songs probably written for that. You don't get... Hundreds? Absolutely. Like, if we're talking about the higher-level ones, you know, songs that were pitched to the artist from songwriters, songs that the artist wrote on their own, songwriting sessions with, you know, co-writing sessions with artists, all different formats, all just trying to figure out what works best for that artist... And then finding the strongest of that set. You know, when you hear an album come out and there's like five great songs, I guarantee you those weren't the first five songs written. One of them might have been, but like... Maybe, yeah, okay. Maybe.
0: Interesting. And how often do you see, say you got 50 songs and you're like, ah, I like a bit of this song. I like a bit of this song. And then you combine it into something kind of new. Does that happen too?
1: Absolutely. All the time. We will definitely, so usually when we're picking songs, um, I hate to say it, but verses don't matter um, because verses can be easily rewritten. So we pick songs for a record based on choruses. We just go through and we pick our favorite choruses. Once we've picked our favorite choruses, then we start analyzing the rest of the song and say, which of these verses are great? And if verses aren't good, then we will throw them out. And our first place to go digging is the songs that didn't make it. Hmm. are there any songs yeah exactly are there any songs with similar themes are there any verses that you loved that didn't make the record that you now want to bring in
0: yeah so right 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 you never know oh yeah it's it's quantity quantity is how you find the quality yeah fair awesome cool well this is the end of the first segment we got really nitty-gritty and we learned a lot um I wouldn't call those very basic questions. I'd say they're more not so basic, but I hope you're feeling good and I hope you're feeling ready to continue because next up we've got the lightning fast speed round. Do you see how fast that came up on the screen? It's almost like it just appeared. (laughs) Anyway, so in this round, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be throwing 20 questions at you. They are designed to be answered with one word. Either yes, no, this, that, both. Um, and then afterwards, you do have the chance to explain your decision. Okay. Cool? Justification, if you will. I wish if I you'd a, like. I wish I had a buzzer. <laughs> I wish we had a buzzer. <laughs> maybe maybe we do. We'll find out soon <laughs> enough. All right. So we're going to start. <clears throat> Work hard or play hard? Yes. Has your classical music training given you a different approach to beat making? Absolutely. Would you rather hear the good news or the bad news first? Bad news. Name the first thing you can think of that's the color red. My hat? Nice. Rain or snow? Rain. What would you rate your project management skills on a scale of 1 to 10? 11. Damn. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Do you prefer Toronto or L.A.? L.A. Sorry, Ooh, I hate welcome. winter. <laughs> Yo, you're not alone. While composing a song, do songwriters write the lyrics first or the music? Lyrics. Oh. <laughs> you, you have over 10 years of songwriting experience, yes or no? Yes. The first thing you can think of that's the color blue. Sky? Vintage or modern gear? Yes. (laughs) Breakfast for dinner? Yes or no? No. Does your birthday always happen on the same day? No. You prefer witches or wizards? Wizards. Rich or successful? Ooh, Rich? (laughs) Rich. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Hot tub or hot springs? Hot tub. Is it true that you not only write songs, but top lines as well? Yes. Do you prefer Mac or PC? Mac. And would you rather have a rewind button or a pause button on your life? Rewind. Rewind. Wow, that's 20 questions. Nice. Is there anything you want to clarify?
1: Um, the Which color? Or which was it? Blue? Yeah. First, I have the big sky on my desk, so it's actually the pedal, like the the, oh. the blue sky pedal, <laughs> not not like the sky sky, but like not like the sky. My big sky the rest pedal of the world would be blue. thinking of.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Okay. Um I also wanna know more about the good news or bad news first. You said both. I think I said bad. You said bad, why bad? Uh, because I want to deal with shit before I have fun. Fair. Get it out of the way? Yeah. Okay. And then, one of your responses here, has your classical music training given you a different approach to beat making? You said, absolutely. I liked the confidence behind that. I want to know why there was excitement behind that answer.
1: Um, okay. So, beat making, it's a, it's a really interesting thing, beat making, because it really comes from DJ culture, and DJ culture is usually sampling and splicing up uh, pre existing stuff. Now, it, my classical training has definitely affected me, whether it's for the better or the worse, I don't know. Um, because I listen to w- one of my favorite hip hop groups, Far Side. And if you listen to The Far Side, they completely ignore keys and structure they will lamp they will layer samples that are completely off-key and it works for them and it sounds amazing but i could never do that in my tracks it's like, it's like you're singing louis it's completely off-key
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shots fired damn i didn't even do anything this time
1: um yeah it's so like just the the way and even the way i arrange things you know i I know a lot of standard pop and a lot of standard hip hop will just have like a pattern that repeats throughout the whole track. And it's a lot more of just stacking and adding and removing from that pattern. Whereas I can do that. I can also look at building tension and transitioning into sections and out of sections in a more traditional storytelling theater, classical kind of way where, you know, you drop to the, the diminished seven before you hit that root chord so that you build that tension before you have that aha moment in the chorus. Now, there's, there's so many things that you can do that we know from classical music where if you're just building beats, you might discover them accidentally or you might just approach it from like a, a looping samples kind of way. Whereas I can actually get into the the structure and the emotional language that our entire culture is built on, right? Um, there's there's, wow. a, there's a bunch of really cool stuff. Like my favorite is a uh, Dies Irae. It's like a seven eight hundred year old piece of music, but it is literally the musical definition of death, and oh. it's used in everything, everywhere, and you don't even realize it. it's just four notes. Um, da, 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 da excuse my horrible singing but you've heard, you hear it in movies all the time you hear it in the background that little that little four note phrase usually preludes the death of something someone's dying and it's because DS Irae was the funeral march for hundreds of years uh... classical musicians pe- picked up on that so anytime they wanted to allude to someone dying they would just subtly throw those notes in and then you enter modern times and you have film composers using it it's it's just something that's so ingrained in our culture. We, we hear it when we see in TV shows people are dying. You hear it in the background. And there's thousands, thousands of these melodic things that exist inside of classical music and inside of modern music that you can actually emotionally make someone feel something or think something by using these musical phrases and just tucking them in there. So... Yes, it's absolutely affected me a ton because I can make people feel things with notes using the cultural language.
0: Well, I mean, essentially, that's what we're trying to do, right? You're trying to communicate an emotion to your listener. And the way you explain it, it's down to a science. Essentially, you're taking the different puzzle pieces and you're placing them strategically so you can generate the desired outcome.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, Another really cool example, and I'm totally stealing this from someone else. I can't remember his name. I should look that up, get it to you later. But um, Back to the Future. That melody is a diminished triad the entire movie. The entire movie, he's just playing this diminished triad throughout the entire score. Until the end of the movie, he returns to the future and it's the exact same musical phrase except for it's a major chord because the timeline has been restored so like and you feel that you just feel that in your system and to be able to do that. that right to be able to do that in a song and know why that works is just like now instead of having to tell a very detailed story and have your lyrics run on and on and on and over explain yourself you can say, like, three words like we do in pop music. The, the idea in pop music is to say as little as possible but communicate as much as you can. So if you can say, like, two or three words and then have notes that make you feel something, you can have that
0: impact be huge. I hear you. I hear you. Super awesome. All right, all right. Okay, so that brings us to the very end of the speed round, which means up next we've got... day. What's your take? Hmm. What are we going to get here? In What's Your Take, I'm going to be providing you, Dijon, with a couple of quotes, statements, topics, or ideas. And we want you essentially to share your opinion with us. We want to hear your perspective and open our minds. Cool? Great. All right. So the first statement I've got for you. All songwriting follows a formula. What's your take? Absolutely. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, it does. Um, Is it the same
1: formula? No, there are multiple formulas. Um, That being said, you know, figuring out, I think every artist should figure out their own formula. And whether you realize you're using a formula or not, your process becomes your formula, right? Whether, um, like, for example, my, my formula is essentially have a long discussion with an artist or person or whatever, and figure out what we want to say. Now, once we've, once we figured that out, I try and get them to wrap that entire hour long emotional conversation up in three words. Ooh, three. Yeah. Okay. Usually ends up being more. Sometimes it's less, but I'm just like, give me now say that whole thing, three words. And that is usually a battle that takes a while. But once we find those three words, that becomes usually the chorus or the hook in the chorus. And more importantly, it becomes the thesis statement. It becomes the purpose for the song. And once you have the purpose, then you just got to make your arguments. And that's your verses. And if you want to go super traditional, you can have a conclusion or a revelation or something and that usually becomes your bridge. Now that's my process for creating a
0: standard-ish pop song. That's wild. It's just the 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 different way of looking at the different parts of the song's really expanded my way of 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 song of of thinking about song structure because a verse is essentially an argument to support yeah. the chorus. That's crazy, mind-blowing. And you awesome. just
1: keep restating your thesis. That's your chorus, right?
0: Yeah. And if you look yeah. at it, from well, at that, least for a good
1: song. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but any any wildly success, successful song, you can usually fit it sort of in that formula. And what's uh was it Springsteen? I hope this is right. It was Springsteen who said um Verses are blues, choruses are gospel.
0: I haven't heard that. Verses are blues, choruses are gospel. Yeah. So the verse oh. you complain about your problem. Yeah. And then the chorus, you celebrate it. You celebrate it and everyone remembers it. Yeah. That's wild. Interesting. Cool. How do you, how do you keep the audience from being bored of a formula? Um, I don't think that's
1: a problem. I really don't. Like, Marvel's a great example. They've released the exact same movie how many times now? Like 40 or 50 times and people love it. Because they know what to expect. It hits all the same emotional points. You don't want to, like, you don't want to surprise people. You want to give them exactly, you like, McDonald's is wildly successful because you can go in and get a Whopper, not because you go in and get a different sandwich every time. You
0: just said a Whopper, my guy. Oh, dude. You're fired. <laughs> Big Mac. They're going to sue you now. I don't know what's coming for you. <laughs> uh.
1: Clearly, I am off my fast food diet that was <laughs> yeah, no, that was for no the worries. studio days
0: that's hilarious. I, I i am I am curious do formulas change as artists develop and change their style yes yeah, they so absolutely that's not do. a bad thing
1: no not at all and they are actually they change over time too like uh if you just look at the the genre changes over the last you know twenty years, you can see the i think the most um the the most obvious change I've seen in the last 10 years is we don't write bridges anymore. And it's and now the 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 latest one, which I don't think it's fully realized yet, is um chorus three is starting to disappear. Um we're starting to see it's just like verse, chorus, verse, chorus done. We want to we want like a two-minute song instead of a three-minute song because we want to up those Spotify plays. It's uh, true. But the the one that's almost true. now is I don't see anyone writing bridges anymore bridge sections exist in songs, but thematically It's gone. It's been removed from our culture. And I think I know why my theory is that um, Bridges used to be your revelation your aha moment, right? It's just like, oh my god This is what I've been doing wrong and then chorus three would represent a change of what I'm going to do in the future Okay, um we don't want change in music. Change isn't addictive. If you resolve the problem, then you're done with that song. If you stay inside of that emotional problem, if you just say, I'm sad, I am still sad, then you can put that song on repeat because you stay sad forever. We're never going to get happy. We're just going to like exist inside of that feeling forever. It's
0: true. Yeah, listen. And it's like an endless loop.
1: Yeah. I, like, I haven't heard real bridges and songs since probably the 90s where they would like say okay and here's what i'm gonna do instead now we get like most common i see the pre-chorus revised and expanded and glitched out and resampled and just done in a different way or a verse three where we just tell more of the story and then complain about it again
0: right right or or even like a post-chorus you see those or post-hook Kind of like four bar verse-ish?
1: Yeah, I see some of that. More more commonly, I see refrains have become very popular in the last 10 years, where you just like take the key idea from the chorus and repeat it over and over and over and over again. So, you know, you you sing your chorus and then you just take the last line of the chorus and you just refrain forever on it. That's become a really popular thing lately. So yes, the the formulas are changing and growing. And I think that comes with, like, I think the the whole reason refrains became popular is because electronic music was just sampling bits and pieces, and that was like, there was no chorus, it was just like a little vocal sample that they were throwing on top, and then pop music and rock, rock music and everything was just like, well, EDM's wildly popular right now, what can we steal from that and throw into our format? Mm-hmm. Well, let's just steal that little looping the sample and just throw it after the
0: chorus. Boom. Boom. Done. Yep, I hear you. Cool. So what's your take on this? A traditional recording studio produces better quality music than an in-home studio does.
1: Um, no. Uh, I, think, I think the world is different. I think it depends on what your target is. Uh, traditional recording studios definitely still have their place. I go to them all the time. I use them all the time, and I love them but I wouldn't say that their quality is better. I think they're for different things. Like um, If I'm recording live rock drums, I need to go to a large format studio. I could never really record good drums in a small studio, but that doesn't mean I can't make a fantastic pop or electronic project in a home studio. I think it depends on your target. You know, obviously you can't record an orchestra in your home. But you can program one fair
0: well what about what about there are some artists that record crazy great albums in their homes like like billy billy eilish chet fokker yep yeah so it's not impossible what?
1: What? i'm sorry chet what
0: oh my goodness
1: do you even know what you're talking
0: about no man? not all the time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they produce great albums from their home okay cool um so you're essentially chasing a feel. So even if you go to different traditional recording studios, you can get different sounds from them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's,
1: it's more about what the project wants than, like, I can, I can make great records in any room. The room itself doesn't matter, but I can't get certain sounds in certain rooms. Right? right. So if I'm doing, like, a bedroom pop record, absolutely I can do it in a bedroom. If I'm doing a huge, heavy rock record, there is no way I'm ever going to get that big, traditional rock sound in a bedroom studio. I need a big room. I need expensive need, mics. Yeah. yeah. But that's not to say you can't make... One of my favorite hardcore records was programmed drums. And a lot of people don't even know that it was programmed drums. But so it's it depends on your target, right? Hardcore pushes that line because there's a lot of samples layered on there anyway there's a lot of fake shit thrown in you know amp sims especially in the gent gent how do you say that gent yeah in the gent genre beats me (laughs) Um, i'm just waiting
0: for angry sound guy to make fun of me again (laughs) um
1: most most of those are amp sims anyway so you don't even have to mic it up like a lot of that sound is what they're what they're going for is hard gated, super tight, digital, fake layered amps. And that's how you get that really tight electronic guitar sound. So I think it's it's just knowing what you want to do and then going to the appropriate place.
0: Right, right. And doing all of that, making those fine tune adjustment adjustments may be more challenging in an in-home studio.
1: Definitely. I mean, I, I'm also kind of working with the assumption that an in home studio can have fifty to a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear in it, right?
0: Space, yeah. Yeah.
1: So like the the room itself is not it, but like you still need good gear. You still need decent converters, you still need a decent mic, which doesn't have to cost a million dollars, but like, you know, there is a threshold. You're not gonna you're not gonna get there with like the absolute cheapest, shittiest mics. You at least need like one of these.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. What's your take on songwriting for a mixture of genres is challenging and not for all writers?
1: Um,
0: I I disagree.
1: Okay. I think Go that songwriting, songwriting is completely separate from genre. And the easiest way to prove that is to look at all the genre bending that happens, right? You can take a pre-written punk band song and then play it on an acoustic guitar and have a folk singer sing it, and now it's a folk song. You can take a folk song and make it a metal song. The g- genre is just how we dress it up, right? It's, it's the production we put on it, it's the instrumentation, it's the arrangement of it. Songwriting itself is just lyrics, melody, chords. That's it, that's the, that's the heart of songwriting. And actually when we do our demos, we don't do any production. Um, ideally, a perfect demo is just chords in whole notes, uh, kick four, four on the floor, and the vocal melody because we don't want to hide behind production.
0: Yeah. All and our- if it's good, then you know it's worth building.
1: Yeah. And then we can build it into any genre. That's
0: just, it's just flavors, right? Yeah. Cool. We're going to hit you with a few different producer based questions. Okay. I want to know, what is your favorite key?
1: Key? Musical key? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite. play in A major a lot. You just, like, tend to go to that key? Um, yeah. I mean, my hands land in A major naturally when I'm playing on... Oh, instrument-based. If I'm playing on guitar or dobro or banjo key of g for sure uh Why? if i'm it's just so comfortable like it's a, it if you talk to any folky they'll tell you it's it's the people's key it's the people's key yeah because nice. i mean if you're playing in on a, an acoustic guitar if you're in the key of g then you have g major c major and d major which are all super easy to play and everyone knows how to play usually the first chords you learn and that's kind of i mean banjos are usually tuned in open g um I can't remember mandolin tuning right now, but it might be similar Um, Dobros are either G or D. So it's just everyone can start jamming instantly. Yeah, that's that's the fun of it But then piano it's it's kind of the oddball in that G is it's fun, but like It's not as fun as throwing a, a few more sharps in there. I mean the fastest the fastest key on piano is definitely B major because it's just like two white keys and then all the black keys and then you just
0: roll through it it fits your hand perfectly b major interesting okay what is your favorite microphone sm7 sm7 right in front of you cool is there a specific reason for
1: that uh it's the cheapest microphone you can get that sounds super expensive um perfect like I I don't I'll never forget this. I just did a blind taste test once at the studio when I was at phase just to fuck just to fuck with the engineers because why not? Where I put up, I believe it was we were testing three different U forty sevens. We had a real U forty seven, the Telefonkin, and then we had the Wonder Audio, I think, U forty seven, and then there was a Paloozo forty seven. So like two fakes and one real one and i told the engineers that i had <clears throat> excuse me that i had four of them and i was just like all right tell me which one is the real u47 and we did all this like blind taste test wine snifter bullshit where they were just like oh this one's definitely the real uh, 47 because i can hear this in the blah 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 it's all just a bunch of garbage um i mean there are distinctive different tones but like they were all really close but then just for fun i threw an sm7 in as the fourth mic and two of the engineers picked the sm7 as the real u47 really and my trick was i threw a little extra compression on it and they're like oh well it's it's so much more forward and in your face i was just like no it's compressed more you can't even hear the mic shut up
0: wow (laughs) so you got a good quality there a good quality mic right in front of you yeah
1: I think the, the key with the SM7 is because it was the standard for podcasts, radio broadcast, and everything, it's a familiar sound. And even though it's not necessarily
0: the best sound, familiarity is king. It is key. It is very key. What about outboard equipment? Is there anything what's like what's your favorite there?
1: Ooh, um probably. Probably my eleven seventy six pretty much for use any reason it. in particular or you just it, it's grown on you um it just smears audio and distorts like everyone thinks it's about the compression in the 1176 and the compression is cool don't get me wrong it's like it's great it's fantastic it levels stuff out you're listening to it right now um but for me what it really is is the input transformers and how it just kind of adds a little thickness and weight i can have it running through the 1176 and not even really compressing much mm. and it just add something to the microphone in the way that it smears the low
0: end that makes the, fo- the bottom feel way more consistent. I like that. Beautiful. Very magnificent. We learned lots out of that round. Next up, we've got a more fun game. We've got our wheel challenge. Ooh, wow. I'm going to keep on dancing, and I hope one day... Someone joins me. (laughs) But for the wheel challenge we got here, I'm going to spin it for obvious reasons. And each of the tabs has a different task. Once we decide what the task is, I'll go ahead and explain that to you. Cool? Great. Fantastic. That's mesmerizing. It's good, hey? It just keeps on going and going. Oof. All right. Oof. This the one oof is actually rhyme. Oof. <laughs> yeah, we're about to find out. This one is actually rhyme or relate. So this is what I was explaining to you earlier, but I'll, I'll re-explain it just for a little bit more clarification. So I'm going to, we have three different words here and, or three different rounds, I should say. And I'm going to start off by giving you the first word and then you have to rhyme with that word and I will relate to that word and we go back and forth. We've okay. got three seconds to come up with something. And the angry sound guy will be listening and keeping time if we don't keep up. And uh, it's just a race to the end. Great. Fantastic. First word. Reminder, you rhyme, I relate. The first word is song. Bong. Smoke. Toke. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going Joke. well. Oh, uh, weed. Um, Creed. Assassin. Blastin? Pokemon. Show must go on? Ooh, fiasco, fiasco. Costco? (laughs) Cookies. Oh, is that a buzzer? I think it was a buzzer. You got me. Damn, you're good at this. (laughs) The show goes on. I just want to awesome. clarify.
1: I don't smoke weed. I just those were the words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it worked. What comes to mind instantly, and and you ended up taking that round. This time, you get to choose a word, and you have to rhyme, and I have to relate. You're fired. Wait. I have to relate. I'm confused again. One no. More time. Okay. So so you you start. You choose a word, and you're only relating, and I'm rhyming. Okay. um, Do I just be an asshole and start
1: with orange? Door hinge. Ooh.
0: Door frame? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, damn. Yo, you're good at this. I was not prepared today. <laughs> this is number two. This is number three. Okay, okay. I'm coming ready. I'm coming hard this final round. Right. Height. Short. Bort.
1: What? Bort. It's on the license plates of the Simpsons when Bart goes to the... You guys don't watch
0: Simpsons? (laughs) I I should know this, but uh, this goes back to the, the, the angry sound guy who's taking this. Is that a word? Bort? It's not. Cultural reference. Cultural reference. It is, hey. but you were winning already too much, so it's. <laughs> <laughs> so the Jean Martino takes this round. <laughs> awesome. Well, that was our wheel challenge. I hope you had fun. It was it was good times. I normally don't actually lose that, especially O for three. Um, so I'm gonna pretend like that didn't actually happen. Perfect. Perfect. There is only one way I like to describe that segment. And that is, it's an absolute wheel challenge. I should have said a wheel absolute challenge. That would have made more sense. Okay, okay. Now we are making our way into our final segment of the show. Our next segment is called Clear the Air. I like to say, oh, I'm so bad at this. See, we're, is there still so much room for improvement. <laughs> but yes, in Clear the Air, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to be honest. Excuse me. we're going to ask you to be honest about challenges, about common issues within the industry. Ultimately, we want to help others become better and avoid unnecessary hurdles. And based off your experiences, I'm sure we can do that for some listeners. Cool? Fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. So my first, or I want to start this segment off with asking you to tell us what the role of a songwriter looks like and some of the challenges you face when co-writing. There's a second part to this question, but I'll ask that first.
1: So a songwriter can take on a lot of different forms depending on every session. It's always different. So if you're the artist and you're, or sorry, if there's an artist and you are the songwriter paired with an artist, it's not unlike therapy. You, You know, you're just trying to get inside their head, trying to find something that not not like you're digging for emotional things to put out there, but you want it to relate to them and you want it to mean something to them, right? If if you write a great song and it doesn't connect with the artist, it doesn't matter. It's not a great song. The The artist has to get up on stage and believe it and feel like it's them. So yeah, a, their passion has to carry through. Yeah, so a lot of the initial stages of songwriting are figuring out what matters to that person and what what they're going to get behind and what they're going to feel passionate about. And then from there, it doesn't even, there have been entire songwriting sessions where I have not pitched a single lyric where rather I ask questions and I push them and I say, well, how do you feel about that is a very common therapy and songwriting question and just letting them explore and pushing them to places where they normally wouldn't go on their own. And then listening You'd be surprised how many times artists blurt out brilliant lyrics and then just keep talking and don't even realize what they've said. A lot of times I'm just sitting there taking notes, just being like, yep, you said this, you said this, you said this. And then after a few minutes, I'll be like, cool, so here's your verse. And they're like, wait, wait, when were we writing? And I was just like, you just spewed out an entire verse when you were talking about your ex and you didn't even realize it. or whatever we're talking about right so that's one form of a songwriter um another form of a songwriter, especially when working on top line is sometimes artists come in with fully formed emotional ideas and even great lyrical ideas and they just need someone to edit them so that you could you could just be like hey this is perfect but you switch tenses five times we got to make sure this all comes from one perspective and making sure that it's coming from the right perspective, and just you know being a bit of an editor. Another really good one for when working with top line, and most of what we do is working with top line at the songwriting stage because we just assume production is going to change the entire track anyway. Um, right. That is um, the melody. You know, sometimes artists will come in with great lyrics that are completely formed and fantastic, but the melody doesn't represent it emotionally. So that's when earlier we were talking about those little emotional tricks that you can pull, you know, the, the, the most obvious and classic one is somewhere over the rainbow. You have that octave jump that instantly everyone knows what it sounds like and it makes you stop and pay attention. And there's tons of those little tricks. Like, um, I'll, I'll throw away one. This the somewhere over the rainbow trick is at the beginning of the course, you usually want a large interval. Because that large <clears> interval, <throat> that large tonal jump makes everyone, every human being stop and be like, something's wrong. I have to pay attention. Interesting. So it's a way of forcing our stupid primal brain to stop what we're doing and listen. And you you can do that in really subtle ways too. like. You don't necessarily need that somewhere at the beginning. You could have the end of the pre-chorus end low and then just jump high and have that high note hit impactfully. As so long as there's that big gap separation. The contrast, yeah. The contrast is what makes it jump out. And generally, you want large note jumps in choruses. Most of the time, people don't write large note jumps. They will write, you know, descending scale things. They will write, you know jump up and down one semitone or um you know a major second for their entire verse and then you can come in and just be like all right what intervals mean what emotionally and what where can we place them so that's a lot of songwriting too a yeah. lot of a lot of melody writing isn't necessarily just finding a unique melody or writing something that's never been written before because I hate to say it, but every melody has already been written. You're not going to write anything new ever, so don't try and write something new. Instead, write try try and write something effective, right? Have that, you know, that minor third interval happen at the saddest part of the verse. And when someone's writing a song, they're not thinking about that. So as a co-writer, it's really important to pay attention to those things and say, hey, why don't we do this interval here? You don't have to explain yourself. You can just say, why don't we just throw this here? oh we have heroic moment we have we have a, a moment where this is like a strong empowerment thing cool throwing perfect fifths on that one because that's our hero interval always yeah oh we have a romantic moment we have like a love story we're telling minor six or major six i can't remember one of the two just jump to your sixth chord um that's like literally indiana jones love theme with uh what's her name The love story between Han and Leia. Basically, anything John Williams ever wrote, he always jumps to the six as soon as the love interest shows up on screen. You can use that in songs too. My mind. (laughs) And like Star Wars, that's a perfect fit. That's your hero interval, right? Yep. Same with Indiana Jones. Um, It's not a perfect fit. That one's a a weird one. That one he it stumbles to it. There's like a few notes in between. It like starts on the root and then falls backwards a bit and then eventually gets to the fifth. Because the idea is that he's like the unlikely hero. He like gets knocked back a few before he hits that hero stage. And they do that with the song. They do that exactly (laughs) with the melody. And when you're telling stories in your, because that's what songwriting is, is storytelling. You have to, not should, you have to use those musical ideas to fill out the picture, right? Because you can't sit there in a three minute song and tell a two hour story. You have to say a couple of words and then just be like, but this is how I feel about it.
0: And you're trying to do that within the beat itself and then complement it even further with the lyrics. Yes.
1: Damn. You should be able to feel the entire emotional story in the melodic values. And then the, the lyrics almost just become a commentary on the melodic story that's being told.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so what about... <clears throat> What about when you get hit songs with no chorus? For example, Bohemian Rhapsody. How does, how does that come to be?
1: Okay, so that's that's a really good question because we usually throw those out. <laughs> um, Interesting. The idea there is a really simple one. Um, not only are those anomalies that just happen from time to time, they're also established artists. Right. So you don't get to do Bohemian Rhapsody until you've already already done all of the hit songs they had before that. You have to build an audience before you can educate an audience. Right. Look, Beatles are the perfect example. They were a very simple pop group, built up a massive fan base and then went experimental. Radiohead, same thing. Very simple, pop, grungy kind of group then once they had their fan base, then you can go experimental and weird. So you don't capture an audience by doing weird things, but once you have an audience, then you can just go weird.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Okay. How do songwriters receive recognition for their work and what are some ways they can protect it? Uh,
1: As a songwriter, you instantly own whatever you work on, right? So... Generally, as a rule, we, we play by what is like Nashville splits, so anyone in the room gets an equal cut. Doesn't matter if you wrote 90 of the words or one of the words. You just get an equal cut for participating. Um, and that is law. So as long as you can prove that you are a part of the songwriting process, you own a part of that song.
0: Unwritten law or real law? Real
1: law. Copyright law states that anything you create, you are part owner of. The tricky part is proving that you were a part of it. So um, to establish that proof, very simple things, document, keep copies, things with date stamps. That's really the only way you can protect yourself and just having tons of evidence that you were a part of it, you know, emails back and forth saying, hey, we're doing this songwriting on this day. Then an email from that day saying, hey, here's the song that we wrote today generally you don't have an issue with people trying to steal songs it's not not that big of a thing um but to collect on it um you'll want to sign up for uh rights companies like um socan is good and i think it's MROC. cascap ascap in the us bmi in the us socans in canada um and then they'll connect you with those for international rights um so being a member of those organizations definitely helps, and those organizations help beyond just c- collecting royalties and maintaining your rights. Um, so, for example, when I um, when I write a song, usually immediately after writing that song, we'll register it with SOCAN. It does not have to be released. You can just go on go on the website, register all the co writers and the splits, and then just throw it on there. It can always be modified later, so don't worry about like it being 100% accurate. Don't worry about, like, oh, well, we wrote it, and it was a minute 20, and it's going to end up being three minutes. Just put in what it currently is. Um, but then, like, once you're a part of those communities, they'll have songwriter camps that they'll invite you to. They'll have all of these resources that you have access to. So as a songwriter, definitely get involved in that, because that's that's the community as
0: it is. Interesting. Cool, clearly you do a lot of writing. You are very comfortable with this. How do you deal with writer's block? Hmm.
1: Um, that's where having formulas really helps because if you are ever in a point where you um, are lacking an in inspiration, then you can easily just fall back on your formula. And if I have writer's block for myself, for example, it, the easiest way to get out of it is to write for someone else. So say you're an artist and you just have zero ideas for yourself. Go co-write with a couple of other artists, write for them and help them with their songs. And you'll break it in a second. You'll start getting new ideas for yourself and it'll change instantly. I don't really get writer's block anymore because my formula is intended to help other artists so it not being about me and it being about other people removes that entire emotional barrier
0: that creates writer's block is that almost a sense of inspiration if you will getting out of your own head totally i mean the the greatest part about writing for
1: other people is you don't have to have that inspiration you just have to push them to have the inspiration and then you document it
0: and I find a lot of the times when you try and do that for someone else, you actually get inspired yourself. Absolutely. That's
1: definitely a byproduct of it is that you end up having thoughts and ideas. And you know, one of the best <laughs> ways I come up with songs is I'll be on a songwriting session with someone and I'll pitch all these great ideas and I'll have like a fantastic idea. And they'll be like, no, that's not right for me. And I'm like, great. Moving that to me later folder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't mind if I do.
1: Yeah. It's like, and that's an important thing in songwriting, too. It's never a no, it's just a not now. Like, that could be a great idea, just not for this song, in this moment, in this place. So just put that in your text documents and open that up later when you're stuck.
0: Yeah, there it is. There it is. Awesome. Can you give us some insight on the pros or cons of being a freelancer? Earlier, we mentioned that it's more stressful, there's a lot more risk and work, but... but when you were at that, that tipping point, when you were on your way out, what were you thinking of the most?
1: Uh, I'm going to be, well, there's two main things. Um, the obvious one is money. Because as an employee, your value has to be greater than what they pay you. Yes. Never forget that. When you're working for someone, they're making more money off of you than they are paying you. Right. When and you're working if for not, you're not worth it. Exactly. That's just simple economics. So you are worth more than you're getting paid. Now, when you go freelance, you get all the money. It's yours, but you also have all the responsibility. And that's where the stress comes in. So like for me, the second I left the studio, my income tripled. But then I was responsible for way more in taxes, way more in everything else. And just now I have no umbrella, right? I can't just simply go to my the owner of the studio and be like, hey, it's paycheck day. Instead, it's like, okay, I have to constantly grind. And you do have that that sort of unnatural workaholic thing that overtakes you the second you start your own business because you you have this crazy realization that, any second you're not working, you're not making money. And
0: that's terrifying. It destroys Not only are you not making you. money, but like everyone else is almost making money while you're not making money. Yeah.
1: And that is like, you, you'll you not take weekends. You'll work all night. you will f- You'll just work yourself to death until you finally, hopefully realize that you can actually increase your value by restricting your supply. Yeah. So if you're working all the time, you're actually worth less. So then you, and there's a tipping point, of course, like when you're just starting out work all the time, because you have to build that value. You need a foundation. Yeah. But then eventually strip back. And I'm at the point now where like, I don't work weekends ever. That's like off. I need time to be human and i do better week fair. yeah and i do better work during the week because i don't work weekends and also you kind of get rid of all of the not real clients by getting rid of weekends because if you have everyone going for weekends that's because they have day jobs yeah and they're like well this is my free time i'm like well but that's supposed to be my free time yeah so then it changes who your client base is suddenly you're now working with you're going from hobbyist musicians to professional musicians because they're making music Monday to Friday, nine to five, not after they got off work at McDonald's, right? Um,
0: the other and they're more likely to pay. Hey,
1: yeah. <laughs> the The other and I, I think this is way more important than money. And I kind of feel bad that I spent so much time talking about money because this one's way bigger. Is control when I'm working at a studio the artist pays the studio for a day, and when that day is up, the artist is gone. When now I'm working as a freelancer, an artist pays me for a project. And whether that takes a day, a month, or a year, that's on me to decide. And now I can I can make that decision, whereas I'm not accountable to a studio. I can say, you know what, this song, Is special. This song deserves me going into overtime. And I don't have to justify it to an owner. I don't have to justify it to anyone. I can just keep working. And that's entirely on me. That's my choice. And what that's done is free me up to say, hey, I know we just finished recording it, but I think we should rewrite that verse and spend five hours rewriting that verse and get better lyrics in there. Whereas when you're in a studio format and you're a studio engineer, you hear bad lyrics, you're just like, "Well, good luck."
0: Yeah, thanks. That's that's just thanks for
1: paying. Yeah, we we made our money. It's like the difference of kind of like, you know, running a studio is not unlike maintaining a hotel. You just you keep the rooms clean, you get people in, you get people out, and that's it. You know, you don't, you can't get emotionally or creatively invested in projects. Whereas as a producer, you work for the artist, you don't work for the studio. So then your job is to make good art. To create. Yeah. Yeah. So just as a creator, as a songwriter, it's so much better for me to be freelance because now I can do what I got into this for. I can Mm -hmm. make good music, Mm -hmm. not just fill a room.
0: Which is super awesome. One last question, for young producers wanting to freelance or have a home studio and, and follow in your footsteps similar, what are any pieces of advice to help them essentially not fall flat or make big mistakes along the way?
1: Collaborate. Collaboration is everything. Work with other producers, work with artists, write with other people, try things you've never tried before. If you're a beat maker, write lyrics. If you're a lyricist, learn how to make beats. Do things, do everything. Know what you're good at, but also learn all the sides of the industry, and just just work with other people. Because what it comes down to it is music is a language. It's it's a communication. It's how we share emotional ideas. And if you're doing that in your bedroom by yourself, you're talking to yourself.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you need it needs to be an exchange amongst multiple people. No good project I've ever done did I ever do alone. So it's all about working with other people and finding people that you resonate with and just finding really cool group projects and building interesting things. And I tell you, if you find people that are fun to collaborate with and it's just a good time and you feel like you make good stuff, other people are going to feel that and enjoy it. And then they're going to want to listen to it. And it's just going to grow. And then artists are going to be like, hey, I want in on that vibe. And you'll just build a whole community. And that's, you know, you hear about these, these classic, you know, Seattle in the 90s, you know, LA in the 80s, you, you have these environments where it was just a community. And that's what, as an artist, you should be focusing on building the most or as a producer is building that community of artists, building that community of fans, building that community around you, because that's how you get a successful career is the people around you. That's the truth.
0: No one can do it alone.
1: Uh, It's not an alone thing. We're literally talking about entertainment for people.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Masses of people. Masses.
1: We are trying to build masses of people. You can't do that by yourself. That's the truth.
0: That's the truth. Dijon, we are now so fresh and so clean that we've cleared the air. Thank you so much for that. And that also brings us to the very end of this episode. This was super awesome, I think. I hope you had a fantastic time. And I know I asked for a lot of your final opinions, but outside of everything you just shared, is there anything that you would like to share that I didn't ask? Um, You were very thorough. <laughs> we try to be. We try to be. If there isn't anything else, which is totally cool, is there anywhere that you would like listeners to find you? Social media, websites? Uh,
1: my website, dajan.com, D-A-J-A-U-N.com, has basically acts as a landing page for everything me. So you can check out the work I've done there and there's links to all my social media there and artists I've worked on. Um, There should be a new music playlist on Spotify that you can get to from there. You can check out all the artists I've been working with. Um, Please check out the artists I've been working with because if they weren't around, I would be nothing. Um,
0: I like that. um, Yeah. Just, you know, check out some music. Let's listen to some music. Why not? I like that. I also want to say thank you to our listeners because without you, we are nothing. Shout out to our Prevail Media Group because we need this venue and the awesome team to make this happen. But of course, thank you so much, Dijon Martineau. You were absolutely spectacular. I learned so much. My my head is like exploding with new knowledge.
1: I had to bear through all this, man. What about me?
0: Wow. (laughs) You were, you were, I wasn't going to forget you, man. You're, you're here, <laughs> but yes, thank you. Angry sound guy. You, uh, you made a smile today, which is amazing. Um, other than that though, that's GoProduce. produce. We out. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this, then follow us on Instagram at go.produce. Check out our show notes, support us on Patreon and help us grow this community. All of this and more can be found on our website at goproduce.ca. I am Big Lou, and I want to make sure that until next time, you go produce.